Oh man, I'm pumped. After that singing, those announcements, Andrew, woof, I want to run through a wall. How many of you are gardeners? Anybody a gardener out here? Raise your hand. Okay. Give me some feedback here. Uh, what, are you, what are you planting this summer? What do you got? Yell it out. Weeds, somebody says. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And all God's people said. Amen. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Other than weeds, what are we planting intentionally this summer? What do you got? Any vegetables? What do you have? Tomatoes. Yeah. Okay. Peppers, beans. Yep. What about flowers? Anybody doing flowers? Okay, good. Meredith and I started something uh, this summer. For the very first year, we built a couple container gardens, put them down at the bottom of our backyard, and we planted a whole bunch of stuff in them. Actually, we got the seeds and started them all indoors, and then when those plants sprouted, we uh, got big enough, they, we, put, we put them in some good soil, got uh, tomato steaks and uh, all the mulch and the cages and the soaker hose, and we planted those little sprouts down in those container gardens. So we've got tomatoes, we're just starting to get a couple of those out right now. We have snap peas, those things are amazing, aren't they? You feel just like so salt of the earth, you go down there, snap that thing off, eat it, you're done, they're sweet, they're amazing. Love those little snap peas, they're almost done right now, they're sort of dying off. We did broccoli. Uh, some uh, cucumbers. Meredith made a great cucumber salsa the other day. Pretty awesome. Went down, got the cucumbers from the garden, chopped them up, put them in a salsa. We ate from our own garden. Oh my goodness, we feel so healthy. Like homesteaders, we're chopping up cucumbers and eating them. It's like the Wild West up here. The vegetable, though, that's really uh, grown the best in our gardens is zucchini. And so we've never done zucchini, and uh, we did a bunch of research, Pinterest, uh, figured out what kind of zucchini to get, and how to plant them, and the right kind of soil, and how many to plant in a certain space, and even what kind of plants you can plant around zucchini, right? We watered these things every day, and we pulled off all the dead stuff, and we uh, made sure the soil didn't have many weeds in it. And uh, we're down at those gardens every single day, like making sure that we've done everything that we can to create an environment where those things can grow like they should. And I'm telling you, I have very little expectations for these zucchini plants when we put them in. I got no experience with zucchini except for zucchini that I see at the grocery store and then like eating it on my plate when it's all chopped up in front of me. But I am going to show you a picture, and you tell me if you've ever seen zucchini this big. Check it out. It's right there behind me. Yowza! <laughs> that is not, that's not a posed picture. I am, like, blown away by the size of those zucchinis. They are literally twice the size of footballs. I'm going to take them down to the state fair and walk away with a ribbon. I guarantee it, right? They are... <laughs> contenders. There's another picture. These things are just massive. And we've pulled out three armfuls of zucchinis that are these big and even bigger than that. And I have to tell you, this blows my mind. I've never seen anything like it. Now, some of you are like, you are such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay with me, okay? Stay with me. This is what I've learned from this little vegetable garden that we have this summer. <clears throat> if you want something to grow, you need to put it in a healthy environment. Okay, if you want something to grow, you need to put it 
in the healthy environment. And so here's what happened to our zucchini this summer. They were planted in the right soil with the right amount of water, the right amount of sun. We supported it with stakes. We even pruned it when it was taking over the rest of the garden. We created a healthy environment and they grew, right? So the other day I'm sitting out of the deck looking over the gardens. I'm thinking about this message and it hits me. I'm just like a vegetable. And you're like, this is taking you a very long time to figure that out. <laughs> Should not be a brand new set of information. But here's, here's what I want to tell you. You are also just like a vegetable. Some of you are like, I want to be a pepper because I'm spicy. <laughs> or you're like, I'd like to be a snap pea because I'm really sweet. Right? Some of you think there's more below the surface. And so you're like a carrot. Or maybe you're broccoli. You're more of an acquired taste. You might be good for me, but let's be honest, sometimes I don't like you very much, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding, mostly. Here's the truth. In the same way that a healthy garden provides an environment that helps plants grow, so healthy community provides an environment that helps you and I grow the right way. So the circle of relationships that you have, the people that you spend your time with, your closest community, that actually provides an environment that helps you thrive or not. Here's what we know. If you want to grow, you need the right environment. So to use our language here at Sailorville, if you want to be more like Jesus, you need a community that wants the same. Read it with me all together. If you want to be more like Jesus... You need a community that wants the same. Or you could say it this way, to grow spiritually, you need to be connected relationally. And so this morning, we're talking about our core value of community, right? And community for us is all about the relationships that we have, how we interact with God and with people around us. But let me just put this out here right away. Statistics tell us that more and more people are feeling lonely. In fact, a recent Harvard study claims that more than one in three people in America would categorize themselves as seriously lonely. The number is especially high among young adults, about 61%, or moms with young kids, just about 50%, would consider themselves seriously lonely. And here's another stat, and this one was staggering to me. I'm going to put it on the screen so that you can see it and let it sink in. Here it is. About half of those surveyed reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken, watch this, more than just a few moments to ask how they are doing in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. Friends, if you claim to be a gospel-believing, Jesus-following Christian here this morning in the room or watching online, that should break your heart. Half of the people that you bumped into this week in the grocery store, at the coffee shop, at your kids' baseball games, or even at work, half of them, half of them are just craving community, and they didn't have anyone in their lives that cared enough to engage with them for more than just a few minutes. But some of you aren't shocked by this at all, because you feel it too, don't you? In fact, you might be living it right now. You're in the middle of a crowd of several hundred people here this morning in our church building, and you feel all alone. Maybe you're married, single, older, 
younger, doesn't matter. You're feeling incredibly lonely. You're barely hanging on this morning, and you're smiling, and you're shaking hands, and you're greeting people, and you're trying to be friendly, but you might be one of those 50% that is saying, it just feels like there should be something more, something deeper, something better. This cannot be the abundant life that Jesus said he came to offer me. And over the next few minutes, I hope to show you from God's word, from the Bible, that there is something better, that there is hope, that there is abundant life, that you don't have to go it alone, that you can, and yes, you should have deep and genuine and intentional relationships. And we say it this way, together really is better. And I'm going to show you how and why this morning. So grab your Bibles or your devices. This morning, turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. We're going to spend a couple minutes in this chapter, but this idea of intentionally living and learning in a healthy community is really sprinkled all throughout scripture. But before we look at this passage, let me just warn you, this won't come easy. The kind of relationships, the kind of community that God wants for you won't happen by accident. And keeping these kinds of relationships won't come without a fight. But nothing of value ever comes easily, right? In fact, most everything that matters requires investment day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. And if we're going to be all about healthy community, which we say we are, it's going to take some commitment. And so let's see what that looks like in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. The book of Hebrews, some know, was written to a group of Jewish Christians who had been saved out of the sterile or checkbox religion that they'd grown up with. They had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but that came with incredible opposition from their families, their employers, their neighbors, their little communities around them. And so they're in danger of slipping back into what was easier, their old way of life, their old habits, their old friendships. And we can understand the draw, right? They become outcasts, alone, maybe even lonely. And so the writer of Hebrews is pointing them back to Jesus. He says, Jesus is better. He's better than everything you're thinking about going back to. What Jesus offers is so much better than everything that your old life has to offer you. And so the whole book of Hebrews is written to point these people back to the prize of Jesus Christ and to do whatever it takes to keep running towards that prize. Stay strong, the author says. Don't shrink back. Run hard. Hold fast. Because being with Jesus and Jesus' people is so worth it. And here's what we gather from the first few verses. If you're taking notes, write this down. Healthy community is gospel-centered. Healthy community is gospel-centered. It all starts with Jesus. Look at verse 19. The writer reminds these Jewish Christians that Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection provides a new and a living way to enter into the presence of God. Watch this. They could have confidence now that Jesus' sinless sacrifice provided the way into a relationship Not just a religion, but a relationship with God. They didn't need to sacrifice animals anymore. They didn't need to go through a human high priest anymore. That they could now go confidently right to God because of what Jesus had done. 
And then in verse 22 and 23 and 24, the author answers this question. Okay, so what should I now do in response to Christ's death? How should the gospel transform the way I think and act? And each of these responses begins with the phrase, let us in our English Bible. See it there, 22, 23, 24, it says, let us. Verse 22 says, because of what Jesus did, we can draw near to God. We don't have to be distant anymore. If you're a Christian, your sins have been forgiven, and you can have assurance that you can draw near to God, and when you do that, that He draws near, He leans into you. And so the author here says, listen, Hebrews, you've been pushed out of your homes, out of your families, out of your jobs, out of your neighborhoods even, but you are not alone. Draw near to the Lord. He's waiting there for you. And then verse 23 says, hold fast, hold fast. Hold fast to what? Well, to the hope that comes along with confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior. God is faithful. He says, look, I know it looks bad right now. The persecution, the loneliness, the temptations, I know. But friends, God is faithful. Hold fast to that truth that you confessed at your salvation. God is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he's going to do. And so if you're here this morning, and friends, if you're looking for healthy community, maybe you're one of those who would say, yeah, I'm just feeling incredibly alone right now. I want you to know that the very first relationship you've got to get straight is your relationship with Jesus. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never accepted His death and His burial and His resurrection as a payment for your sins and a way to have victory over sin and eternal life, if you're not a Jesus follower here today, then the rest of this message is just hypothetical. It doesn't apply to you unless you first have community with Jesus. And so make today the day that you begin a relationship, an intimacy, a community with Him. And guess what? When you join God's family, you get the rest of the family too. Even those broccoli kinds of people. We're all in it together. And here's... How we say it in our More Like Jesus book that many of you have even here this morning. You can get it in the coffee cove afterwards if you don't have one. Page 48, here's the quote. When you put your trust in Jesus, you join a spiritual and physical community. You never have to walk alone. As Christians, God adopted us into his family, so we choose to share life and learning together as a healthy community. So number one, draw near to God. Two, hold fast to the hope of your salvation. And now let's dig in. Verse 24 says, stir each other up. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Healthy community is, yes, gospel-centered, and then, yes, intentional. Healthy community is intentional. So the writer is talking to these Jewish Christians and they're struggling. They're on the edge of getting ready to throw in the towel and going back to their old friends and their old communities and their old way of doing life. And he says, wait a minute, don't do that. You're not alone in this. In fact, look around you. There are people that are just like you. And this is what he tells them to do, to be a community characterized by love and good works. Now, this word consider, did you see right there at the beginning of verse 24? 
It's more than just giving something a passing thought, right? You know how this goes. It's like when your roommate asks you to cover the rent for the third month in a row, and you say, "Mm, I'll consider it. No. Pay your own rent, bum, or get out of here, right? Or when your kids say, hey, can we go to Urban Air again for the third day in a row? You're like, I'll consider it. No. That's not the kind of considering that we're talking about here. The word here really has a much stronger meaning than what comes across in our English language. It carries more the idea that you are going to think about something deeply. You're going to fix your eyes or your mind on something until you figure it out. You're going to come up with a strategy, a plan, or a way to move ahead in this area. So the writer says, don't just think casually about this. Think carefully about how to, eat, how to help each other grow in this new community of faith that you have now as a Christian. Don't be casual about community. Consider it strongly. You've got to be serious and think about it carefully. Why? Because if you want to be more like Jesus, you need a community that wants the same. And so consider, come up with a strategy to motivate each other to love and to do good works. And the love, by the way, that you see in this verse is that agape love that we sometimes find in the New Testament. It's a love that characterizes God himself. 1 John 4, 8, God is agape. God is love. It's the kind of love that God shows in John three sixteen. For God so agape loved the world that he gave us his son. And now it's the kind of love that he wants us to show and share with those around us. It's the kind of love that Paul told the Christian community they should be characterized by. What does this love look like? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's the message paraphrase. Look at it. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Agape love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first. That's good, right? It doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best. It never looks back. Love keeps going to the end because love never dies. That's agape love. So here's the question. How intentional are you and I about stirring up the people around us to that kind of love? Here's a little exercise to figure out how you're doing with this. Just take that word love out of 1 Corinthians 13 and replace it with your own name everywhere you see that. So this is what it looks like for me. When it comes to my closest relationships, Jason never gives up. Jason cares more for them than he does for himself. Jason doesn't want what he doesn't have. He doesn't strut around in pride. He doesn't think too highly of himself. He doesn't force his way on others. Jason isn't always me first or flying off the handle. Doesn't keep score or make lists of the sins of others around him. Jason doesn't revel when other people grovel. When it comes to his community, Jason loves it when truth is spoken and applied. He puts up with anything, trusts God always, looks for the best in people, never looks back, keeps going to the end because Jason loves with a love that never gives up. Ooh, that's convicting. Are you that kind of friend to those people around you? And the other side of that question is, do you have friends like that in your life? 
And so if you want to be more like Jesus, you need a community of people who can stir up and who you can stir up to love like Jesus loves. Stir up each other to love and to good works, to do good, to do good. Not as a way to earn salvation, right? But as an evidence of salvation. Listen, sometimes we can be so anti-works-based salvation, which is true, that we don't do anything good at all. We want to get our theology right, and that is good, but that means sometimes we don't bother doing good works at all. Friends, good works aren't the root of salvation, but they are the fruit of salvation. Jesus tells us in John 15, 8, that bearing fruit, that's good works, pleases God, and it proves that we are followers of Jesus. And here's something that I haven't been able to get away from this week as I've been thinking through this whole idea of doing good. This summer, we had two different sets of neighbors move out of our neighborhood and into a different town. So two different sets, one across the road, one right next to us. We were pretty close with both of them. We'd watch football games in each other's garages, which that's got to be like a Midwest thing, right? Why do we have TVs in our garages? We'd swim in each other's pools, babysit each other's kids, mow each other's yards, the whole deal, right? We were pretty close. And let me tell you, when those neighbors moved, the neighborhood was impacted. For the first few weeks, people just walked around moping. There were guys like in the middle of the street just with their heads down like this, like, what am I supposed to do right now? Kids were like, there's no one to play with. None of the TVs were on in the garage. (laughs) I'd look across the street and expect to see my buddy across the road and then realize, nope, he's gone. I'm telling you, the neighborhood changed when they left. And here's my question. If you moved out of your neighborhood, what would change? What would change? Would your neighbors notice less love and good works if you left? Or would it be, eh, they're a little strange anyway. Good riddance, right? I think about that for us as a church. If we were to ever move, say a real church, or if our church didn't exist anymore for some reason, would Des Moines know it? Would Ankeny even care? Would Sailorville Township look around and say, eh, that church never really did anything to impact me anyway. And so let's be people, let's be a church, let's be a gospel-centered community that considers, that thinks hard about how to stir each other up to love and good works. And so how do we do that? The writer gives us some really specific ways, too, on how to build healthy community. Let's cultivate this together. He says, look at verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but, and here's the, the, the opposite, here's the answer, the solution, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so here's what we realize. Healthy community is encouraging. Healthy community is encouraging. Literally, people in biblical community put courage into each other. That's what it means to encourage people. Put courage in them. And how does this happen? Well, he says it, by meeting together. Now, remember, we're talking to a Hebrew set of Christians that were thinking about throwing in the towel on their faith because they've been persecuted for their faith. They were being ostracized and shunned. They were being marginalized and they were lonely. And so what's the solution? Cling to each other. Be together, he says. Don't stop meeting face to face. You need it. Community gives us courage, the writer says. 
And I want to tell you this morning, we learned a whole lot from COVID, right? And we're still learning. But if there's one thing that COVID taught us, it's that technology is great. And online church is a really good option for people who are traveling or who are sick or have to work on Sunday morning, like some of you that are watching right now online. But listen, a healthy biblical community is primarily a face-to-face community. A healthy biblical community is primarily a face-to-face community. Author and speaker Jenny Allen says it this way, we all need a community of people around us that are physically present in our daily lives. Why? Because the best way to consistently stir one another up to love and good works is by meeting together, and you can't do that well from a distance. The writer Hebrews says, some of you have a habit of skipping out on gatherings and you're missing out on that encouragement that comes when Christians get together. Encouragement that others give to you and the encouragement that you give to others when you're together. Now, some of us grew up with this unfortunately narrow understanding of this passage. This may step on your toes a little bit if that's you. Here's what we've been taught. If you want to make God happy and grow in your faith, just show up to church on Sundays. And so we make this commitment to be here on Sundays because we think that's obviously the application of this passage, right? It's where the encouragement, where the one another's happen best. If I'm here on Sundays, I'm obeying these commands and I'm thinking hard about how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And I'm here, right? I'm not neglecting the Sunday morning service. For the most part, I'm here, so I'm good, right? There's a few problems with that, though. First of all, that's not what the original Hebrew Christians would have understood when they read this. They wouldn't have thought, oh, he's talking about the once-a-week church service. That's where the one-anothering really happens. If I can get myself to that church service, I'll be able to obey these commands. No way. That's simply not the truth fully. Because you can't fully obey the one another's in the New Testament by just showing up in a crowd on Sunday morning once a week. This is a crowd of 1,300, 14, maybe 1,500 people across all three services here spread out throughout an auditorium like this for just an hour a week. You just can't genuinely fulfill the dozens of one another commands in the New Testament by just showing up on Sunday mornings. That's not primarily what this passage is talking about. Here's another reason why I don't think it is. Stirring up one another to love and good works means, this is rocket science, stirring up one another to love and good works, right? It's a back and forth. It's a conversational. It's fluid. It's intentional. It's you and me. It's give and take. And so this passage was never meant to refer primarily to what's happening here this morning, like some of you believe it is. I may be stirring you up. That's Part of the purpose of preaching through the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit as he applies it to your hearts. But how many of you will genuinely consider, remember, that means think hard, put into practice, come up with a plan or a strategy, genuinely consider to intentionally go out of your way to take more than a few minutes to encourage someone else this morning. I get it. It's Sunday morning. You got something in the oven. You got a ball game to get to. You got a pool to jump into. You're going to take an hour or maybe an hour and five minutes and then you're out of here if you can get out of the parking lot. We have good intentions, but Sunday morning simply can't be the primary environment where you are getting or giving what God wants for you in shared community. 
And that's why the book of Acts tells us that the early church met all throughout the week in each other's homes. They were living together and learning from each other, sharing what they had with each other, intentionally working together to show love and to do good. They met together beyond the weekly service. They culted a deep and desperate community of Christ followers. And that's what we want for you here at Sailorville, a deep and desperate community of Christ followers. That's what community is. I can't possibly tell you how much Meredith and I have been changed, challenged, encouraged, stirred up by our people over the years. Friends, we have laughed so hard with our community over silly things, like how much deodorant is too much to wear. I have a real problem with that. Or what it's like to go without sleep when you first have kids. Or how much ice cream someone should eat. I may have a problem with that one too. We've cried over sin in each other's lives and over big time medical struggles, over broken relationships. We've celebrated over births and we've grieved over deaths. We've stayed up way too late and gotten up way too early to be with our people. We've dressed up to go out and we've had people over in our pajamas and slippers. We've, made, we've learned how to do so many things, important things like make sourdough bread and smoke meat. And how to pronounce the word charcuterie. Did I get it? You don't know, don't. (laughs) Nobody knows. We've been so encouraged by the people that God has placed around us. It's been that gospel-centered community, watch this, that we've desperately needed even though we didn't know it. If you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to grow, if you want to live the abundant life that Jesus offers, you cannot do it without community. A few minutes ago, I referenced a study done by Harvard called Loneliness in America. More than 50% of those surveyed said they hadn't experienced genuine care from anyone in the last week. The study offers several solutions to what they call the loneliness epidemic. And here's the summary of their solutions. This is what they say. We need to return to an idea that was central to our founding. That's our country's founding and is at the heart of many, watch this, religious traditions. We have commitments to ourselves, but we also have vital commitments to each other. Do you see that? They're talking about us. That's what they mean when they say religious traditions. It's their way of saying the church. And they're right about that. We have the solution to the loneliness epidemic. It's healthy biblical community, friends. What does that community look like at Sailorville? As your pastors, we take seriously the commands to shepherd the flock here in our church. That's primarily members, also regular attenders. And we take seriously these commands in Hebrews chapter 10 to consider, to think hard how to stir up one another to love and good work. So we do consider, we plan, and we pray, and we meet, and we strategize, and we talk with our staff and our deacons, and we talk to our ministry teams, and we talk to others that are a part of this church. And here's what it comes down to. The best way that we know to provide environments in which more people can experience the kind of relationships that we've talked about here this morning is through our community groups. 
Community groups are gatherings of six to 12 people that are centered around life and learning together. We've got groups for men, for women, for young adults, for married people. And if you think you don't fit one of those categories, there's a group for you also. They meet all throughout the Des Moines metro regularly throughout the year. Right now, we've even got summer group options that a whole bunch of you are involved in too. In fact, We believe as a church so strongly in the benefits of community that the expectation for every single member here at Sailorville is to be in a community group. Why? Because we genuinely believe that healthy, small groups are the best environments we have to help make more people more like Jesus. Now, don't understand, misunderstand me. Please don't walk out of here and say, well, he thinks community groups are the only place to find this. Nobody here thinks that community groups are the only place to practice the one another's. They're not intended to be. You should have deep, intentional, and genuine relationships, friendships with people outside of your community group. You should. A program can never take the place of organic relationships, right? But if we're going to help more people share life and learning with God's people here at Sailorville and a surrounding community, we need an intentional environment to help encourage that. And so there's probably Four kinds of groups of people here this morning, and maybe you find yourself in one of them. Let me talk to each of these four very quickly this morning. Number one, you're in a community group, and you're going to stick with it. You've consistently experienced that life and learning together with your group, and you love it. We're sinners, so it's not perfect. Obviously, you get that. Here's my encouragement to you. Invite someone else to join your group. Or if your group's getting a little big or a little bit tight, then multiply out into two groups. Create space for others to experience that kind of life and learning like you have. Or maybe a second group of people, you're in a group, but you're thinking about dropping out. We've got groups that start fresh in the fall, and you're thinking about not being a part of one of those because you had a bad experience in a group one time, or because somebody rubbed you the wrong way, or because your fall schedule is a really busy one and something's just got to give, right? So let me encourage you, if you're in that group, to make a new commitment to community. Go all in. Some of you are trying to figure out your mission after last Sunday's message from Pastor Pat. I want to suggest that some of you need to make it your mission to stir up people to love and good works and then accept it when they do the same for you and to do that in a group. Or maybe number three, you're not in a community group right now. Maybe you're new to Sailorville and you're looking to find your people. We talk with people every single week. They come to me or others on our staff and they say, how do I meet people? How do I get connected? Maybe that's you this morning. I want you to get into a group this fall. Or maybe you've been here your whole life or for years and years and years and you've never taken that step to join in instead of just showing up. I want to tell you, you need new people and new people need you as well. They need you to stir them up. They need you to pass along our Sailorville culture. They need you to help them feel like they belong and you need them to because togethering is a two-way street. That's community. The last group of people I want to talk to here this morning are those of you who would say, I, I don't need community or at least an official community group because I've got good friends or family that I meet with outside on my own time. Listen, I think that's great. I have really, really good friends that are not in my community group too. Some of them don't go to Sailorville. Some of them don't even live around here. But I'd like you to answer this question honestly if you can this morning. I want you to think back to the last time you got together with those friends, that group of friends that you call your community. How much time when you were together was spent in intentional spiritual 
conversation? How much time was spent intentionally learning how to be more like Jesus? How much time was spent with that community in prayer? Is it planned? Is it regular? Are you considering? Are you thinking? Now think about, are you genuinely thinking hard? Are you strategizing? Are you considering coming up with a plan to motivate each other in that group of friends to be like Jesus? I really mean this. When was the last time that you had a conversation with this group of friends about what God is teaching you in his word or about a sin that you've been convicted of recently or maybe a serious struggle in your marriage or another relationship? And here's what I've noticed about my own life. Without the encouragement and the accountability that I get from consistent and intentional stirring up from people that aren't always people I would choose to be with, don't get me wrong, I simply would not be the kind of man, the kind of dad, the kind of husband, the kind of employee, the kind of citizen, the kind of friend that I am today. My life is so much better because of the men and women who have been in my group over the years. That's truth. Let me talk to our community group leaders and co-leaders for a few seconds, if I can. The rest of you can just listen in. We have almost 70 adult community groups here at Sailorville, and every group has a leader or a team of leaders, and that's about 180 leaders from young adults, men, women, mixed groups. And I just want to say to those of you that are leading, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are on the front lines of creating environments where your people and your groups can thrive. That's discipleship. Week in and week out, you pray and you prepare and you pour out. You are constantly considering how to stir up your people to love like Jesus and to live like Jesus. You are vital leaders, and I praise God for every single one of you. Thank you. And to those of you who are in those groups, who are being led by those leaders, Are you doing your part to help your group be a healthy community? Are you participating? Not just showing up, but actually joining in. Some of you should just show up. Are you grateful for your leaders? Have you told them how amazing they are? Not perfect, but amazing. Are you opening up and are you engaging in discussions? Are you serving others in the group and caring for others? Are you yourself thinking hard about how to stir your group up to love and good works? It's right from this passage. If you're in a community group, God has placed you in that circle of relationships for a reason, to help them be more like Jesus and for them to help you be more of the same. And so in the same way that a healthy garden provides an environment that helps plants grow, right, zucchini? So a healthy community provides an environment that helps you and I grow. And here's what it all comes down to. If you want to be more like Jesus, that's what we're all about. You need a community that wants the same. And a community that's gospel-centered, intentional, and encouraging. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That last phrase, you see it? All the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what that means? This whole idea about being committed to healthy community, it's urgent. It's urgent. And that tells us that healthy community must be a priority. 
There's an urgency to creating this kind of community because one day Jesus is going to come back. And until then, things are going to get worse and worse. It's not getting any easier to be a Christ follower in this culture. The temptations to fall back into our old ways of living before we knew Jesus are going to get stronger and stronger. Our world around us is going to marginalize, ostracize, and yes, perhaps even persecute Christians more and more. But we're not without hope and we're not without help. God gave us his word and his Holy Spirit. And yes, God gave us each other. Together is better. Friends, don't quit on community. We need each other now more than ever. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us what we need in order to thrive. And part of that, Lord, is community. People around us who we don't always like but will stir us up to love and good works as we do the same for them. Lord, we do want to be a people that makes more around us more like Jesus. We do want to be a people that becomes personally and as a church more like Jesus. And to do that, we need to think. We need to consider. We need to strategize. We need to plan. Yes, even come up with a tool that helps us be more like Jesus by stirring one another up to love And to do good, I pray that we would be a church that makes a difference in this area, in our broader community here in Sailorville, in Ankeny, yes, Des Moines. Lord, that we would be a people that follow hard after you and that become more like your son Jesus every day. It's in his name we pray.